morning. I'm Hannah. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's funny sitting at the front because you get up to speak and you don't really have any idea who's out there because often people come in after you've sat down and not looked back again. So it's nice to see you all. <laughs> um, as I said, I'm Hannah. Um, I work in the office here at church and I have one daughter, Zara, who just started secondary school. <laughs> that was a good uh, thing to be talking about. Um, and actually, I, yeah, I'd really echo that, that not just praying for the kids who are struggling, but pray for the parents of the kids who are struggling because I've found it exhausting having a child just starting secondary school who is settling in well. So, you know, as a parent, it's hard whatever's happening, but if your kids are struggling, that's really, really hard. So pray for them, please. When I um, started to have a look at this talk only a week ago, um, because I didn't have the book before that, I felt really, really tired. I felt like I had no kind of reserves or energy to draw on for it. We tell ourselves, don't we, that we should finish the summer feeling all refreshed and rested and ready for the new term, but uh, I don't think it's very often the case, and it definitely wasn't the case for me. I don't know what I expected to feel when Zara started secondary school, but it feels like it's been hard work. I've been feeling anxious for her. I've been feeling like I need to be in control for her. I've been feeling a bit empty and a bit lost when she kind of phones me after school and says, I'm just going to go to Costa with my new friends. I'm like, oh, I want you home. <laughs> and yeah, it's been, it's been hard. And then I've had, also had several weeks just here at work where I feel like I haven't stopped. I haven't necessarily had my day off when I'm supposed to have it. And there just have been extra things, evening meetings, all those things that extra that then come along at once. And yeah, it just feels like it's been a crazy few weeks. I haven't been sleeping very well. I haven't been doing the things that need to be done. So yeah, I'm sure probably lots of you can relate to that. I'm sure probably lots of you are going, yeah, I've had a few weeks like that as well. And I'm not telling you this because I want sympathy or want you to try and make it better for me because you probably can't. But I'm telling you because normally I'd kind of just carry on through and push through it all, and try not to think about what I'm feeling or why I'm so tired, and, yeah, thinking I can just do it all myself. But actually, then reading the first few chapters of this book for this talk has actually made me realize that we need to be in touch with our emotions. We need to be in touch with what our bodies are trying to tell us. We need to try and figure out why we react the way we do to things and whether that's healthy or not. And I'm going to come back to that later. I'll come back to what I think I might have learned about myself this week. Um, But basically, that's what we're going to think about today. Going back to go forward, kind of reflecting on things that have passed so that we can become better people um, and better um, Christians with God. So last week, Christian introduced this book to us, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And that's going to be our series for this term. Basically, the aim is that we become emotionally mature so that we can be spiritually mature as well. To recognize that Jesus wants to deal with the whole of us, not just kind of the spiritual side of us. Chris talked about how we need to know our hearts and understand our emotions because what we are kind of flows out of our hearts. And Mark, your prayers were perfect for today. Thank you. Um, Chris also set us some homework. I don't know if any of you did it. He asked us to read the parable of the sower. And to think about that in relation to our hearts. Are our hearts hardened by the world? Are they shallow? Or actually, do they have deep roots that keep us healthy and produce good fruit? 
God is an, an, an emotional being, isn't he? Um, and he uses our emotions to speak to us. As Christians, and I think I can say this, especially as British Christians, I think we're sometimes taught that feelings aren't to be trusted, that we shouldn't show others what our true emotions are. But those feelings are part of our humanness. They're part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And by becoming more aware of our emotions, I think we can become more aware of God. Emotional changes and even kind of physical symptoms in our bodies can be God trying to get our attention and to get us to do something or deal with something. Sometimes if God speaks to me and he wants me to share something, I start shaking a bit. Probably not enough so anybody else can notice, but I kind of definitely know that I'm shaking. And I now know that I need to act on that. And I'm probably sitting there thinking, is this really God? I don't really know. But then the shaking, yeah, I've learned that then I have to get up and actually do something about it. So maybe if you start crying lots and you don't really know why, or if you're getting angry with people and that doesn't normally happen, maybe it's God trying to get you to think about what is going on um, and maybe something needs dealing with. When we become Christians, the Bible says that we're born again. We're new creations. I put a couple of verses up there that you can see that in. That kind of might make us think that we can just move on from the past without looking back, that we don't need to deal with things that have gone before. But I think we all know that that's probably not a healthy or a helpful way to be. And actually, these verses in the Bible are relating to um, our old sinful nature, um, which has been forgiven and replaced by God's righteousness. When we become a Christian, we're still the same person, and we still have the same past, unfortunately. Those parts of our lives that have gone before still influence us and shape us. And actually, there's a good quote in in this book about that. Um, Peter Scazzaro, who wrote it, says, The work of growing in Christ does not mean we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. It actually demands that we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. So there's two times in our lives that I think we should look back on and be learning from. And I think the lessons that we learn from each of these things will overlap because, you know, all parts of our lives are connected and we are the person that we are. So the first of these things that I think we need to look back on are kind of big events that happen to us in our lives. And more often than not, those are traumatic or they're painful, aren't they? When Chris asked me to do this talk a couple of weeks ago, the first thing that came to mind was that it had been 10 years since I separated from my ex-husband. I can't quite believe it, but... It has been 10 years. That was my big event. We won't all have had a big event. You might have had lots of smaller things that kind of shape the way you are today. Some of us might have had too many big events to even want to think about. For you, it might be a marriage breakdown. It might be losing a close family member. It might be an accident, an attack. It could be all sorts of things. But I stand here today, and it's been 10 years and 10 days and I can remember it as, it as if it was yesterday when a stranger walked into my workplace in Uganda and told me that my husband was gambling and having affairs. Sorry, I didn't think I was going to get emotional. For those of you who don't know, we were living in Uganda. Zara was 18 months old. And I spent five months trying to get the truth out of this whole situation about what was going on and whether there was any way to salvage our marriage. There wasn't, unfortunately. 
So Zara and I moved back here to England and I filed for a divorce and the rest is history. Except it's not, is it? (laughs) That's the thing, it's not history. It can't just be forgotten or written out of my past. It shapes who I am, how I relate to people. It shapes the family that we are today. But also how I reacted to it and what I learned from it shapes who I am today as well. When I look back now, I can see that God worked in the mess that was left and he guided me out of it. I can see how he's been healing me and restoring me and this amazing church family has got a lot to do with that. But I also know that I'm not very good at analysing my feelings. I'm not very good at recognising where there are still issues that need dealing with. I'm a finisher. I think that's why I've got the job I've got. I'm very ordered. I like things finished. Put away neatly in a box and that's that. But unfortunately, that doesn't really work in the mess of our lives. Over the years, I know that God has shown me areas that still need healing and emotions that still need dealing with. But I think I still need to look back and see the subtle ways that that event 10 years ago has shaped who I am now. Are there still things that need dealing with? I think I definitely hold back in relationships now and I take longer to open up to people than I did, which isn't always very healthy. I think I also still carry a bit of a feeling of failure. You know, why couldn't I make my marriage work? What was wrong with me? And I've also had to get used to doing things on my own. I know I've got Zara, and that's, you know, she's amazing. But doing things on my own as an adult. And I'm not very good at it still. (laughs) I have days where, uh, you know, I am an introvert anyway. And so I have days where I can push myself. I can talk to new people. I can walk into a party on my own. But then I have other days where it's really, really hard and it feels really, really lonely. And at New Wine in the summer this year, I had one of those days and I sat in the, sorry, (laughs) I sat in the main arena and I literally sobbed (laughs) and I sobbed about feeling lonely and I sobbed about thinking people didn't notice me. And if it sounds really silly, but not having a husband next to me, I don't feel like that all the time, I should just say. It's really funny, because when I went through this talk, I didn't feel emotional about it at all, so I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I also feel sad about, not, about Zara not having a dad at home. Thank you, everybody. You're all being very lovely. <laughs> oh, dear. I should probably just say on tape that uh, Kim just came and gave me a lovely hug, and Julia's given me water, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, I do feel sad about Zara not having a dad at home. And although I think I've forgiven my ex-husband... I need to keep a check on that sadness because I need to make sure it doesn't become bitterness or that unforgiveness doesn't creep back in again. One thing, actually, that this book has taught me so far is that those feelings are okay. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry, you know. It's okay, but it's good to recognize where that comes from and to see if God wants to work in changing that. He might not want to work in changing that. He might want to use my sadness to help other people out there, and that's fine. Sorry, sniffing in the microphone. Again at New Wine this year. New Wine was good, I think. Um, I found myself telling somebody the story. Thanks, Mary. (laughs) Anybody else? Anyone got any chocolate for me? (laughs) Yeah, I found myself telling um, somebody the story of what happened those 10 years ago, you know, kind of the... in quite a lot of detail and I realized I hadn't actually told anybody for quite a long time and there was something really cathartic in just 
telling them and seeing how far I'd come and seeing, being able to say, oh yeah, God did that for me, even in the midst of that horrible mess. So, yes, so I think one thing I'd say from that is if you can talk to, even if your event was a long time ago, talk about it, because talking is really good. So, looking back at major events was the first thing. I'm going to move on from that now and hopefully not be quite so wobbly. The second bit of looking back is looking back to our families and our parents and our parents' parents and even their parents. We were all born into a particular family in a particular place at a particular time, whether we like it or not. And that family will have made you who you are, for good or for bad. The Old Testament talks in a few places about children being punished for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generations, and also God blessing families and descendants. And when the Bible talks about family, I think it's talking about extended family, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Now, I'm not in any way saying that God still punishes us for the sins of our parents, don't get me wrong. Jesus came to take our punishment, and so I don't think this applies anymore. But what does apply is this, and I'm going to read it from the book because he says it very concisely. Family patterns from the past are played out in our present relationships without us necessarily being aware of it. Someone may look like an individual acting alone, but they are really players in a larger family system that may go back, as the Bible says, three to four generations. Unfortunately, it's not possible to erase the negative effects of our history. This family history lives inside all of us, especially in those who attempt to bury it. The price we pay for this flight is high. Only the truth sets us free. So earthly families are broken and flawed, however loving they might be. Our families and the upbringing they had and the culture they were brought up in and we were brought up in have huge implications for how we relate and behave and think. And we can see this if we look at a few characters in the Old Testament. I don't know if you can read that, but I've just put the names up there. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph. And if you read those stories in the Bible, you see that there are several kind of patterns and sins that carried through the generations. One of them was lying. Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister twice. Isaac and Rebecca's marriage was full of lies. Jacob lied to almost everyone, and his name actually means deceiver. And Joseph's brothers all lied about his death. And then you've got favoritism. Each one of those fathers had a favorite child, and that caused huge, huge problems. We're going to have a look at Joseph um, at the end and just see what lessons he can teach us, because I think he managed to break some of those um, patterns that were passed down. So what about your family? What about my family? What were the messages that you received growing up which have shaped you and which you carry through into adulthood and maybe pass on to your children? And actually, even this morning when I was thinking about this talk, some of the things I'm going to tell you in a minute that I think have been passed on to me from my parents, I think have been shaping some of the things I've been feeling about Zara going to secondary school. So it's really interesting when you start to think about it. Here's a few examples of some of the messages that may get passed on from parents to children through families. The more money you have, the more successful you are. Avoid conflict at all costs. Don't get mad with other people. Control your anger. Don't talk about sex or anything to do with it. 
Move on from grief. Don't let it hold you back. Strong people don't cry. You go to school, go to university, get a job and get married, and then you'll be happy. Don't trust people. They might let you down. Your feelings are not important. Those are just a few of what could be hundreds of messages that might be passed on. So just have a think for a minute about your family, about yourself, and what are the things that kind of you got taught as a child growing up, whether it was kind of consciously or unconsciously. And what about our culture as well? That also gives us messages, doesn't it? That we grow up with and that may conflict with the messages that God wants us to hear. I think our culture here teaches us that success is getting a good education and earning enough money. I think our culture teaches us that emotions should be kept in check and that we should be nice and polite to everybody. Not all the patterns and messages that come from our family and culture are bad, but the problem is when these messages are contrary to God's. And because we're often not even aware of what these messages are, um, because they're so deeply embedded in us, then it's hard to deal with them. When I lived in Uganda, I actually became really aware of my Britishness. When you're in another culture, you kind of suddenly see what it is that, you do, that we do in our culture that we don't even think about. British people are very ordered. This is just a general rule. We're very punctual. We get places on time. We keep our emotions hidden. And yeah, there's lots of other things that we do as British people that you just, we don't even think about. We just do it. I said earlier that I'd come back to my crazy few weeks and what the reflection on that had shown me. So here we go. Sorry if I'm being really personal again. It's quite good, actually, that my sister's not here because she doesn't have to listen to what I think our family taught us. So sorry, Naomi, if you listen later. (laughs) Our family was very ordered. Everything had its place. We had meals at set times every day. My mum planned it all at the beginning of the week. We had strict bedtimes. We went to church every week. But also, my mum was in control of everything. You did things the way my mum wanted them or the way she did them or it wasn't right. I've recognized this before, I think, and I've made a conscious effort at home to try and be a bit more relaxed with Zara. I don't want her to feel like she can't make mistakes or do things differently. But yeah, this week I realized that my feelings of being overwhelmed and with everything that was going on was actually me needing to be in control. (laughs) A bit like my mum has always been in control. I feel like I need to control everything that's going on in my life, and I wanted to control what was going on in Zara's life. And when I get tired and stressed, I I then feel like I'm losing that control and I start forgetting things. That's the thing that happens to me. I forget things. So people tell me something and literally a minute later, it's gone out out the other ear. And needing to be in control isn't, that's not what God wants for us, is it? He wants us to let him be in control and to, he wants us to trust him to help us. And it's interesting actually seeing my mum recently not being so in control and needing other people to help her and remind her of things. And that's also made me reflect on whether I've taken on some of those behaviours or not. The other thing that struck me this week was a really strong message I have from growing up. And I don't really know where it came from, but it's that nobody really wants to listen to what I've got to say. Like I say, I don't really know where that came from. I think growing up in a big family and a busy household didn't help. And my school reports always said, Hannah's really quiet and shy. 
And you take that on, don't you? You kind of take it on and think, well, nobody really wants to hear what I've got to say anyway. Having three sisters close in age to me probably didn't help either because you're always comparing yourself with somebody else. So now when those feelings of loneliness creep in, I feel like there's that little voice still telling me, people don't really want to be friends with you or, you know, you're shy and boring. Nobody really wants to be with you. And I have to really fight hard to hear the messages that God gives me that say that I'm loved and I'm cherished and people want to be around me. And that's the battle we're in. I know we all have those battles. But if we can't recognize where those messages come from, I think it's really hard to replace them. The last lesson that I'll share with you today, because I'm not going to go on all day and I'm not going to share everything with you, is that I really don't like conflict and I avoid it at all costs. And again, that's partly a cultural thing, I think. It's partly a family thing. You know, in my family, one parent was definitely the more dominating and the other was definitely the appeaser and the peacemaker. And even to the point of, feels like maybe being walked over a little bit. We were also given the message growing up, I think subconsciously, that we didn't talk about things as a family. Things were dealt with behind closed doors and, and uh, yeah, well, I don't remember ever sitting down as a family and talking things through. And now I've recognized that. It's no good just leaving it. I have to try and deal with that. And I try and talk to Zara about things as much as I can. The conflict thing, I'm not sure. I think that's my homework for this week. Try and learn about conflict resolution. (laughs) But the great news of Christianity is that what has gone before does not need to determine what comes next, does it? We are adopted into God's family. And we can take on those messages and patterns of that new family, God's messages and patterns for us. Jesus showed us that you can love your family, but you can also follow God when there is a conflict between the two. If we know our families and we know ourselves, we can make good decisions about what to leave behind and what to keep and take forward with us. To move forward into God's family, we need to let God's truths shape who we are and what we do. Truths that tell us that we're loved, that we're enough, that he has a purpose and plan for our lives, that he wants us to love him and be faithful to him. I'm coming into land now, I think. I said earlier that we'd just look quickly at Joseph and see um, what lessons we can learn from him about going back to go forward. Joseph, I'm sure most of you know in the Bible, had a really big, complicated family. He was one of 12 sons. I don't know if there was, there was probably daughters as well. He lived with his dad and his dad's two wives and his dad's concubines and all their children. He managed to wind his brothers up loads by telling them that he was the favorite, he was the best, and telling them all these dreams about why that was true. And so his brothers killed him, shipped him off to Egypt to be a slave. He then was accused of something he didn't do, got thrown into prison. But somehow, he didn't become bitter and angry about it all. He stayed faithful to God. He was promoted to being Pharaoh's second in command in Egypt. So, four quick things that I think we can learn from Joseph. Joseph knew how big and how loving God was. He recognized all through his life that God was working in him and was working in his circumstances. And in that reading, that's why I chose that reading for today, he says, Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How amazing is that, to be able to recognize that all that pain that has gone in the past was in preparation for 
this amazing position that he's been given in his life now. The second thing is that Joseph admitted and expressed his pain and sadness. When his brothers first came to Egypt and Joseph knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was, he wept so loudly that all the Egyptians in his household heard him. He was comfortable with expressing that pain. And then through that pain, he was able to forgive his brothers. Also, Joseph rewrote his life script with God's messages. That's what I've just been talking about. Joseph had every reason to feel completely worthless, to give up, to feel like nobody loved him. But he was able to realize that those messages that his family gave him were wrong and to let God replace them with all of his messages so that he could break free and be who God wanted him to be. And lastly, Joseph partnered with God and trusted in God. He didn't let himself be consumed with anger and resentment. Instead, he chose to trust in God and to know that God is good and God is safe and God wanted the best for him. I know I've given you lots to think about. I think what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes just praying and thinking. When I've been writing this talk this week and in various other times of frustration, there's been a song that's um, been coming into my head quite a few times. And it's, I'm sure lots of you know, it's Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. And I was going to ask Susie just to come up and play it while we pray. But the, the one verse that kept going around in my head was Be Still for the Presence of the the power of the Lord, sorry. Be still for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. He comes to cleanse and heal, to minister his grace. And I think that's what he wants to do for lots of you today. I realize I might have made you think about things that you don't really want to think about. But I think it's really good if we just let God minister his grace to us for a few minutes. So let's close our eyes and just think or pray.